This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today on, my goodness, we're deep into January, are we not? Wednesday, January 10, 2024, coming into the MLK holiday weekend. How will you be? lifting up the life and works and sacrifices of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. We're going to have our King Breakfast uh, at the Apostolic Church of God and their magnificent uh, banquet hall. Please call 773-FREEDOM. There are only a few tickets left. We sent thousands of young people to college, um, tens of millions of dollars we have been able to to raise because of you. And, of course, we have our Peace Summit, the Peace Summit. People are coming in from all over the country, even with the weather, uh, the inclement weather pending. They're coming in from all over, all over the country and all over the world to be at the Peace Summit at Rainbow Push on Friday and Saturday. Dr. Cornell West will be speaking. State Senator Nina Turner, you don't want to miss it. Go to rainbowpush.org so you can see the full calendar of events, but you need to be there. You can attend it virtually, but you should be in the house. It's, there's something about being in fellowship with one another. I'm Santita Jackson, coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. Let us talk today, everybody. Let us talk today. Uh, what about President Trump? Will he be disqualified from running? And then what about uh the South Carolina event in the historic Black AME Church with President Biden when a young activist, black and white, stood up and said, ceasefire now, ceasefire now. And then after a few beats, uh, the audience, primarily African-American and older, started shouting for more years. What do you think about that, everybody? Only 11% of U.S. members of Congress have signed on to the ceasefire revolution, but more than resolution. But more than 60% of Americans want the slaughter to end now. More than 23,000 people have been killed in Gaza since October 7th. Wow. 1,200 Israelis. All of it awful. 23,000, and the numbers are climbing every day. Hmm. Ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. Ceasefire now. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Will this, will what we saw in South Carolina be an indicator of a challenge before the Democrats in 2024? Uh, the young people um, and various, a rainbow coalition, if you will, of, of voters who are saying we want a ceasefire. And this could be a deal breaker for me and the Democratic Party on the presidential level in the fall. Or are you willing to go past um, our government support of the genocide? Because essentially, that's what's happening. The Biden administration has done an end run around Congress twice. They're supposed to, the power of the first rest of the U.S. Congress, they've gone past that, that entity twice just to give money to, uh, to Israel that Americans don't want to get without strings attached. Call us at 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. Is 
the Biden administration's support of Gaza, excuse me, of the, what people call the genocide, is that a deal breaker for you? Or are you really so locked into not having Trump that you just say, look, whatever, whatever we have to do to prevent him from going into office, we'll see. So call us at 773-763-9278. Now let's get to some of the headlines, Henry. Judges appear skeptical about Donald Trump's January 6th immunity claims. The former president argues that he cannot be tried for attempting to overturn the 2020 election. He warned of Bedlam after a court hearing yesterday. The appeals court could issue a ruling at any time, possibly delaying the March trial that Trump wants to postpone until after November's presidential election. He is skipping the final Republican primary debate before next week's Iowa caucuses, which start tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m., Central Standard Time on CNN. Deadly tornadoes have devastated parts of the Gulf Coast. At least 15 tornadoes were reported along the Gulf Coast yesterday. Tornado watches from Florida to Virginia. At least four people were killed. Yesterday's severe wind, rain, and snow closed schools, delayed flights, and caused power outages across the country. Armed hooded men stormed an Ecuador TV station yesterday. Some gunmen appeared to be gang members. According to intelligence officials, it was one of several attacks across the country in a 24-hour period. The attacks may have been intended as a message to the government, which has been planning to transfer top gang leaders to maximum security prison wards. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin did not disclose his cancer diagnosis. Secretary Austin was hospitalized January 1st, but kept in secret from the White House for days, causing a political firestorm. He had surgery last month after a prostate cancer diagnosis and was hospitalized because of complications, including a urinary tract infection, according to officials. He didn't tell President Biden about his cancer diagnosis for weeks, raising more questions about his transparency. And more U.S. homes are flooding over and over and over again. At least 44,000 structures have had damage coverage got covered by federal flood insurance multiple times, according to data. One Virginia beach property flooded 52 times, Pastor Mickey Johnson. What it means is this, according to this Washington Post report, the nation is at increasing risk of repeated floods due to climate change. And taxpayers are footing the bill through the troubled flood insurance program. An historic lunar mission won't reach the moon's surface. The the uncrewed spacecraft launched Monday is leaking fuel and has no chance of a soft landing. Oh, wow. We were hoping for more success. But, you know, you keep trying until you succeed. Uh, Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820 and AM 950 Radio. We're going to have a high of 31 degrees today. It will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 26 degrees. It will be cloudy. In the NFL this weekend, the wild card round begins. In the NBA, the Timberwolves 113, the Magic 92. In the NHL, the Oilers 2, Chicago 1. And those are the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Pastor Vicki Johnson, how are you? I am well, Santito. What about you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Good hearing your voice today. I hope that you're, the New Year is treating you and your beautiful family well. Doing, doing as best we can, and we thank God. All right. Amen for that. Amen for that. So what's on your mind today? Well, good morning, Santita, and good morning to all of your morning stars and friends. There is good news. So 
some of us have been in the struggle for a long time, fighting for peace and for the civil and economic rights of others as well as ourselves. I remember as a little girl seeing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Ralph David Abernathy, Andy Young, Hosea Thomas, James Bevel, and many others on TV taking on racism across the country. Little did I know that then, that after a few short years, I would become a freedom fighter in the North under, under the leadership of Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson, Reverend Calvin Morris, Reverend Willie Barrow, and Reverend Ed Reddick, and so many more. We sang in the choir at the meeting, Dwight and I, and uh, we walked on picket lines in uh, various places against Red Rooster, A&P, and National Tea Grocery Stores, where they were selling rotten meats and were not treating our people in our communities fairly. We learned this. We learned how to be freedom fighters as children, and we were always fighting in the struggle. But I'm glad that through our struggles, we took time out to celebrate our joys. I recall a particular time of joy. It was Christmas time, and the city had its usual Christmas parade down State Street, passing Carson Peary Scott and Marshall Fields with White Santa closing it out. This particular year, Reverend Jackson and the staff organized another parade down State Street, South State Street, past the Robert Taylor Home Projects with floats promoting black businesses, Conway cleaning products, grow fresh orange juice and papaya juice. Pulling up the rear was the Bread Basket Choir singing and clapping, and yes, we had our Black Santa, Chuck. The children were elated and filled with so much joy as they saw people who looked like them celebrating in their community as they received gifts of toys, food, and clothing. It was a great moment of joy that lingers in my heart and mind to this day. Yes, the struggle continues. The struggle for peace. The struggle for social justice, as we now call it. But God will always give us times of joy to celebrate and don't let these times slip past. Ecclesiastes, the, seventh, the ninth chapter in the seventh verse says, Go, eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. If you are in the struggle for peace, 
If you are in the struggle to make life better for someone else as well as yourself, God approves what we are doing. And so it is time to take out a moment, take out some time for yourself to celebrate that joy. If you will do this, and I believe that you will, then to me, that's good news. Amen to that. We love you, Pastor Vicki Johnson. How can we worship with you on Sunday? You can worship with me at Lebanon Lutheran Church, 13100 South Manistee in Chicago at 9 a.m. And at St. Thomas Lutheran at 8 80th and Jefferson Boulevard <laughs> in Chicago at 11.30 a.m. You can worship live or on Facebook. Hey, man, you always have to tweet you, but I'm like, 8,000, Jeffrey. But it is 8,000 on the address. So there you go. Pastor Vicki Johnson sending you so much love. One among the few women in the world to helm not one but two pulpits and these congregations are well served by this great woman of God. We love you, Pastor Vicki Johnson. Love you. Love you, love you, love you. Well, you know, we've got Dr. Shanina Knighton on board, infection preventionist, registered nurse, college lecturer, and on and on and on. Dr. Knighton, we are deep into 2024 already. What's on your mind? Good morning. Well, just because I'm at the airport and I'm getting ready to travel, I think it's essential to remind people that airports are one of the most high-traffic areas for which individuals can contract germs. And when we're showing germs, we're talking about respiratory illnesses specifically. And again, sorry about the noise in the background. I can't have it this morning. Um, you know, cup your hand so, around the cup your hand around the speaker. That'll help. Okay, like right now, I've got to have you in my ear because okay. I got bad. Perfect. So I'm sorry. Perfect. Um, Perfect. That's good. So just reminding individuals that in airports there are going to be many contamination elements exist that exist from the time that you come in and actually have to come in contact with, let's say, elevators or escalators. So utilizing the kiosk that many other people will use to also um, come in contact with PSA. If your belongings coming in contact with the actual conveyor belt and it is being scanned, um, as you're coming in contact, your ID, you know, with someone that may touch it, whether that is at that counter or at the counter right before you're getting ready to board, such as your airline ticket, there's a lot of exchange that happens within the airport that we do not tend to pay attention to. And so I oftentimes hear from people, oh, I was careful on my trip, I was careful on my trip. But I always ask them what happened before the trip. And it's a reminder, I've been in situations where I've literally witnessed a TSA worker with gloves on blow their nose and care for themselves and still with those same gloves continue to handle multiple IDs. So this is just a reminder to individuals that we cannot assume that because people have on gloves or they have on masks, that they are indeed doing the right thing with these items. 
While masks sometimes gloves can help, we must understand as well that if they are not handled properly, they then can become a point of contamination. So the reminder is, it's just to make sure that you are mindful of your actions when you are moving the But, you know, let me ask you this. Do you, just practically, do you feel comfortable traveling right now? Well, I have no choice. And I will still also say, and we've also talked about this in the past, where it's unrealistic to assume that people get out of traveling, meaning people may have to travel for work. They may have to travel to go visit their loved ones. And so the same way people have to work, let's say maybe at a bar, which can be a a high traffic area, because that's their bread and butter. The goal is is to show people how to safely do things or minimize their risk, even in their current situation. But right now, if it were up to me, then I would say, no, I would not want to travel during this time if I didn't have to, just because I know that we are in the midst, like right now, between December all the way up until the end of February are in the peak of the season when we're talking about um, viral infections. And you'd be surprised, even being inside of the store, is so much, like just within their um, aisles, just around Mucinex and all of these cold medicines as well, which I find to be interesting. Hmm. Well, everybody, I think um, the protocols that we that we were learning, I would just say we were learning during at the height of the pandemic, we still need to employ. Um, would you recommend being masked on a plane? Dr. Knighton? Well, wearing masks on oh, planes. I, say, I was I was being great on me <laughs> as Dr. Oh, Dan yeah. would say. So, yes, no, I was saying, um, if not for the whole ride, definitely at takeoff. It is essential to be um, because the air is not exchanging. And then the other piece is, too, you have to start being aware of your surroundings. If you have someone on the left side of you and the right side of you, once that cough leaves their mouth, okay, Mm. there's no way that they can go back in and those droplets are already spread. So always say be safe and sorry, especially if you are within close proximity of someone. Everybody, let us be careful. You know, not paranoid, just careful. I think that's that's important for us to know. Please travel safely. Hurry back to us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Giving <laughs> you so much love. Everybody, what happened in South Carolina when President Biden uh, was talking to the black audience at Mother Bethel, the church where he had the massacre of the pastor, and nine other people um, in 2015. And he was giving a speech on race relations, on the evil of white supremacy. And some demonstrators, Americans, stood up and said, cease fire now, cease fire now. And it was disconcerting to the audience. And so the audience started shouting four more years. Is this indicative of a divide in the Democratic Party? And more than that, a divide with the American public. Is President Biden's support for um, 
and giving money to Israel as they continue with this policy that is genocidal in nature. Is that a deal breaker for you? Or do you believe that Trump is so dangerous that you're willing to put that aside? You let me know. Increasingly, many voters are at a crucial fraction of voters are saying, no, I can't sign up for this. But then others are saying, four more years, four more years. And another woman shouted out from the crowd, Biden's a good man. Hmm. So let me know what you think. 773-763-9278. More of the Santita Jackson Show. Of course, this is pointing everybody to the Peace Summit at Rainbow Push. 930 50th Street starting on Friday. You don't want to miss it. Go to rainbowpush.org or call 773-FREEDOM. Also, our MLK breakfast at the Apostolic Church of God. We only have a few tickets left. You do not want to miss it. It is one of the biggest MLK breakfast events in the country. And we've been able to send thousands of kids to college because of you. So please call 773-FREEDOM and get one of those remaining tickets. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show. What? This is the Santita Jackson Show. Happened in South Carolina. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278-773-763 WCPT. Let's talk about what appears to be a divide in the Democratic Party. Um, There is, of course, at the top of the hour, we will be talking about Trump and whether he will be disqualified, whether he will be allowed to run. But now we're looking at, we're hearing about President Biden and and President Obama having a meeting and having a disagreement about the approach to the campaign. You know, President Obama apparently is now quite open about being worried that Democrats will lose the White House. and maybe what happened this past weekend uh, might be indicative of that. Uh, President Biden is now making appearances, campaign appearances, in with the South Carolina. And um, he went to the church where you had the massacre. The massacre uh, at Mother Emanuel AME Church, one of the historical churches in the country, in Charleston. And it's a venue that embodies so much in the African-American and American community. That having been said, uh, 10 people were slaughtered by white supremacist Dylan Roof, who we remember was taken to Burger King after he was captured by police because he was hungry. Well, protesters stood up during President Biden's speech and they called for a ceasefire. White, black, young people who were calling for a ceasefire. And after a few beats, you heard the audience at Mother Bethel then shout, four more years, four more years. And then a woman shouted above the crowd even further, and she said, Biden, you're a good man, Mr. President. What do you think about this? Uh, The Biden administration has done two end runs around Congress uh, to give monies that Americans don't want to have delivered, money and munitions that we don't want to have delivered to Israel, without strings attached. We want a ceasefire. Only 11% of those in the U.S. House of Representatives have signed on to the resolution, but the fact is, um, 
60-plus percent of Americans want a ceasefire, but their representatives are not representing them in Congress. So what happened is this back and forth that we saw at Mother Bethel, Mother Emanuel, excuse me, in Mother Emanuel in Charleston, is that indicative of what we're going to see going forward in the 2024 campaign? Uh, call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Want to know what your thoughts are about this? Uh, because Dwight McKee, uh, social scientist, dean of the Ma'afa uh, Redemption Project, Reverend Dr. Todd Geary, part of the national leadership team at Rainbow Course, senior pastor at uh, Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore. But we're going to start with you. David Swanson, Executive Director of WorldBeyondWar.org, Rage Against the War Machine, author of the book War is a Lie. What did you see with that uh, that confrontation in the church? It, it looked to me like you have someone uh, publicly engaged in one of the most blatant, outrageous uh, cases of injustice and bigotry and destruction and violence, uh, trying to speak uh, as an opponent of bigotry and hatred uh, and deserving to be interrupted. Uh, and he, is a, he has always been a, a, a disastrous idea for a candidate for president, uh, both because he's likely to lose and because uh, he's not going to solve our problems if he wins. And he's now worse because he's going to be protested everywhere he goes. Uh, there's going to be a hearing tomorrow in The Hague uh, on the case of genocide uh, committed by Israel with U.S. complicity. Uh, and he has a very good chance of becoming guilty uh, under U.S. law and under international treaty of genocide. Uh, and, you know, if you don't care, if you just don't care about people, if they're Palestinian, you know, the bombs do explode at home. South Carolina and the rest of the country do have third world infrastructure and education and health care and life expectancy because all the money is going to kill little children in Gaza. Uh, and Biden has nothing to say about it. No ideas, no initiatives. He, he, he just wants to keep sending the weapons. And he, the only reason he's in that place talking about that issue is because it's a place Trump won't go. That, that's his whole shtick is I'm not Trump, which is great. I don't want anybody to be Trump, but it's not good enough. You know, and last time, four years ago, they had all kinds of campaign promises that have been ignored by the White House, by the Congress and by the public, including cutting the military, ending the wars, moving the money to human needs and environmental needs. Uh, and that's just tossed out because all he has to say now, he thinks, is Trump is a threat to democracy. Democracy, when you just told us, Santita, that the vast majority of people want to end the war and he won't even hear it. Uh, and yet he goes around as a, as a champion of democracy. Uh, the world thinks this is ridiculous. Uh, outrageous and criminal. There, there is going to be a, a major serious case presented uh, tomorrow morning in The Hague that says this is the worst crime imaginable. And he thinks people just won't care 
if he goes and talks about particular injustices that he's decided it's it's acceptable to talk about, I, I think people who shout out four more years for that should be ashamed of themselves. This in-run that the Biden administration is doing around Congress just to deliver weapons and money to Israel, even as Bernie Sanders has come out and said, we can't just give them money anymore. We we can't do that. There have to be strings attached. And um, what do you make of that? I don't think there is a moral or legal way to attach strings to piles of murder weapons to send to someone openly engaged in genocide. I think it's ridiculous. But even worse, of course, is the no strings attached. And even worse is going around Congress to uh, allow sales of weapons to Israel. You know, 80 percent of Israel's weapons imports come from the United States. This could not happen without U.S. weapons. Israel has been defended in its illegal acts about four dozen times by a veto by the U.S. government at the U.N. Security Council, overriding the rest of the world. Israel could not do this without the United States. Uh, The United States has aircraft carriers and troops in the area backing up Israel. The U.S. military assists and works with the Israeli military, which is a a partner in the Mediterranean dialogue with with NATO. Uh, Israel could not do this. This is a U.S. war. The, The United States government is a major communication system that pushes out every lie, every claim, real and and totally baseless and fabricated from beheaded babies on through for Israel. Uh, Israel is absolutely incapable of doing what it does without the U.S. And, And Congress members and presidents talk as if they're outside observers. Uh, Blinken says, we'd like you to slaughter civilians while killing fewer civilians, uh, as if this is a a coherent position and as if he isn't providing the weaponry with which to do it. Uh, it's, it's, It's absolutely shameless. I think if there's a divide, it has to be a divide between people who have any idea what's going on and people who don't or don't want to. Call us at 773-763-9278. What do you make of this, Pastor Todd Geary? It happened in Mother Emanuel. Well, good morning, Santita, and to your audience and my colleagues on the panel. Well, what I make of it is it's the reality of the party, that uh, the party has to kind of find its courage to be able to handle what appear to be somewhat contradictory notions, wanting four more years of a Biden presidency, if that's the thing, but also recognizing that there is a huge policy issue that is standing in the way that you cannot ignore. And those conversations exist within the same party. And so you can't have your cake and eat it, too, by trying to just lean one way and ignore the other part. Uh, You have to pay attention to the core of the bread and the crust. And so uh, this this threading of the needle, first of all, I think a lot of this has been caused by the ongoing limitation and, quite honestly, the handicap that's been uh, an issue for this administration from day one 
is the messaging around their positions, their their commitments, their efforts is just god awful horrible. Uh, and so to put on basically a staged effort uh, with Jim Clyburn trying to you know pull a magic trick out a second time uh, by coming to the president's aid, the now president's aid, he was a candidate then in South Carolina when South Carolina's primary comes much earlier uh, than it has, uh, is this notion that somehow or other you're going to be able to put on this appearance, this facade, that the issues within the party are not the issues. I think what the, what the administration has to do is lean into it, to, to handle and wrestle with difficult decisions that are not going to be necessarily popular, but this notion that you're going to try to keep you know, Israel's going to do, Netanyahu's going to do what he's going to do. What uh, the, the U.S.'s role, to the point that was just made, has to be clear. Uh, whether or not Netanyahu changes his posture is not the question. It's whether or not the United States, as a policy position, will be complicit in the behavior that is that is an act of ongoing genocide in Gaza this notion that you're going to send the Secretary of State over and say that the, you know, the civilian casualties uh, numbers in Gaza are too high. That, that, that's not moral courage. That, that, that's called duh, right? We've been watching this thing uh, from the very beginning. You don't have to be uh, a political expert. You don't have to be a pundit to be able to see that. The question is, and this is where the administration and the campaign, the party they have to figure out what's going to be their moral compass, because right now they are so conflicted uh, as to be not basically, but actually irrelevant. Folks really are not paying attention to what have you done for me lately. The question is, what are you doing now? And to pretend that somehow or other this is not the U.S.'s problem and this is not uh, uh, something that the U.S. is, is supporting through its, its policy. It's just asinine. So I think I think that's the issue. It's not that you heard both of those things inside the church. You're going to hear those things inside the inside the the, the party and in the streets. The real issue is is the tone deafness coming from the president himself about how you're going to address it. That's going to be the Achilles heel. It's 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 his to win or lose, but he's losing it miserably in real time. Your thoughts about this? Talking to me, Dwight McKee. Yes, Dwight McKee. Well, I I don't think he should have been invited in the first place. I see it as an abomination for him to take a sacred space and a sacred occasion like that and turn it into a campaign event. And um, it just grates me the wrong way, particularly the contradiction a man with blood on his hands speaking to about the the uh, um, the greatness of the innocent, those whose lives have been lost in that environment by a scoundrel, by a murderer. How can you, with real good intention, speak against that if in many ways you're doing the same thing at a larger scale? I was impressed that the protesters came in, I would have rather than probably have been outside to preserve the, the sacredness of the space, but their position was an absolute sound position, and the dynamics of their 
moral or uh, uh, stance was refreshing to me to know that they would was risk risking life and limb to make that statement. I was shocked though by the Christian congregation because all I was could, could question is what would Jesus have done? You know, had Jesus been had that that been Caesar or had been Herod, would Jesus have been saying four more years? You know, I mean and that's why he warned about a house of prayer becoming a, th- a den of thieves, because he understood the, the, the contradiction of the government coming into a secret space, imposing their will, justifying their actions with uh, with no consequence. Uh, in fact, in many ways, the congregation justified those answers, and I could not really understand that. I know when Dr. King met with the presidents, with Kennedy and with Johnson, he didn't go in saying four more years. He went in saying study war no more. And so just the the, the abomination of of that whole situation to me, I thought, was petrifying. There was no more. There's no moral compass. It seems in the Christian Church or the uh, the Democratic Party. David Swanson, where do you see this going in election 2024? Do you see this as a breach? Do you think that this Gaza is a deal breaker for some? Because you know. Um, Many Democrats are running on, oh, my goodness, I'm afraid of, of Trump and what's going to happen to democracy. Uh, David Swanson, the people I talk to are afraid that they're not going to be able to afford groceries. <laughs> the people I'm talking to are afraid of not having a job that gives them a livable wage. Uh, they're afraid of being evicted. They're afraid of living in their cars. They are increasingly living without heat, uh, without water in their homes. Americans are struggling. So this whole talk about democracy, I am like, I'm concerned about democracy too, but as, as you know, given where I am from, I, I never knew it. We've been fighting for it. I mean, what are they talking about? Is this a deal breaker? Could this be a deal breaker in 2024 for the Democrats? Well, I, I think the big story here is that the world has decided it's okay to have a massive public, shameless, open genocide and require that governments and public figures cheer for it rather than say never again. That's the big story. Which horrible servant of oligarchy uh, is president a year from now is a is a far more minor point. Uh, Trump is not going to help those people. Biden is not going to help those people. Uh, but I, I think that it's it's not an, uh, an, an unimportant question. And I think uh, the problem is uh, that if you're dedicated to defeating Trump, Biden is not your man. Biden is not someone you can count on to do it. Uh, there's a there's a group I work for, RootsAction.org, uh, that's having a, a webinar next week on what should progressives do about Joe Biden uh, with people from all sorts of 
constituencies and expertise from around the United States to try to figure this out. I recommend people go to rootsaction.org and and plug in and and add to the conversation. Um, But if you're looking for a candidate with a good chance at winning, regardless of what their policies are, you know, well, they're going to have to have policies that line up better with the U.S. public, um, because to the credit of much of the U.S. public, especially young people who are just so much smarter on these issues than older people, uh, Biden doesn't cut it. Uh, and you're going to have to have a candidate who's willing to say no to this war madness. Uh, you know, this is not a side issue. It always gets shunted aside by the U.S. media, especially around elections. And candidates never want to mention war and peace and where the vast majority of your income tax dollars go when it comes to elections. But the public cares. The public cares right now like it did in 2006 when getting out of Iraq was the decisive factor in in all the congressional elections. Uh, And you've got Biden on the wrong side and getting worse. And he's going to be protested everywhere he goes, which is going to make things worse. Uh, the, the, The good thing is that we have a chance of stopping the weapons. Uh, if not the the weapons sales for which Biden goes around the Congress, at least the weapons funded by U.S. tax dollars, not only for Israel, but for Ukraine and for Taiwan to stir up a war with China and for the border of Mexico to militarize U.S. borders, because the Congress can't agree and the public can't agree. And you have more and more people opposing at least one of those wars. And Biden wants to fund weapons for all of them in one piece of legislation. Uh, So this is the good news, that we can contact our Congress members and tell them no more weapons to any of these wars. Use this money for decent things. And we have a chance, uh, in large part, because the people who love one war hate hate another war. Uh, And, you know, we have to. We have to take advantage of that to the extent we can. Uh, but when we look further down the road to who's going to be sitting on the throne uh, next year, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a disaster in the making. Uh, and the best chance, and it is not too late, uh, is for Biden to step aside and have some, some candidates participate in actual democracy. No one, everybody, but... Uh, Congressman Phillips, they've been blocked. You don't have Cornell West. I mean, the Democrats have made it impossible for even Robert Kennedy to run as well, Democrats. They, they, they've, they've changed the rules. They've rigged the system, but they've done it for Biden. And if Biden steps aside, then it's, then it's an open field. And then you ha- can have some decent candidates uh, get in. You could have some horrible candidates get in, uh, but you could have some good ones. Uh, and we could try an experiment of actually using democracy, uh, actually allowing the public to have some input on on who one of the two choices is, because you, ro- you only get two choices. These, these third-party candidates, some of them uh, not much better, some of them dramatically better, but none of them have a, a, a chance at all. They aren't, they aren't allowed to participate, and, and we cannot count on our so-called judicial system blocking Trump from having a chance to participate. And, and, and if we do, and we effectively have only one candidate, then what have we become? Um, if we only have one candidate. 
I, I mean, if Trump is blocked from being on ballots and forbidden to run for president and you have an election with Biden versus Biden, uh, you know, we've, we've become the Soviet Union, you know, why we have so much. I mean, we, our whole culture is designed around never again. And then it happens. And OK, go ahead. And, and democracy, democracy. But we have such a pretense. Where's the actual democracy? Uh, you tell me. Day, I'm, we I'm may looking have, forward, day, Dwight. Dwight, I've got Dwight. Day, I'm 30 seconds. Day, we may have a campaign of Biden against Biden, and Biden still lose. Happen. Everybody call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-WCPT. Let's talk about that. I mean, because now the question is, will Trump be disqualified? What will the Supreme Court do? You have some conservative legal scholars who are saying that he absolutely should be banned from running. You have other people all over the ideological spectrum who are saying, wait a minute, the court shouldn't make that decision. And that's not going to be a good thing. I want to know what your thoughts are. Call us at 773-763-9278. That's coming up with legal Q&A with PK. It's a legal issue, but it is really a cultural issue. It is an issue about... Really, who we are as Americans. Remember, we're a republic. We are looking to become a democracy, or are we? Hmm. Democracies offer people choices, options. Do we have that? David Swanson, it's always a joy being with you, World Beyond War. Very quickly, tell us what Roots Action is doing before we go to break. Thank you so much, Santita. One thing that both of those groups are doing is pushing countries to support, and with some success around the world, to support South Africa's case uh, of genocide by Israel at the International Court of Justice. So go to worldbeyondwar.org and root that shit out of Absolutely. Oh, boy, so much is going on. They say 2024 is going to be off the chain. It already is. Will Trump, should Trump be disqualified from running in 2024? Call us at 773-763-WCPT. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. We're going to be back up on YouTube and Facebook morning stars next week. Yay! Cannot wait for that to happen. Uh, call us as we talk about Trump. Will the former president be disqualified from participating in the 2024 election? What are the implications of that? Will that happen? Will the conservative court say you cannot be on the ballot? Have we proved beyond a shadow of a doubt his involvement in January 6th? And on and on and on and on. And politically, is this a good move? And let us be very clear. Politics really does figure into these judicial decisions. It was the Brown v. Board of Education decisions that happened within a particular political context. As it's addressed that decision, it happened within political context, social, cultural context. You can never, ever, ever, ever go past that. But let us talk today about 
whether Trump is going to be able to run or not. Call us at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCTT. Let's get to some of these headlines. Henry, right here on the Santita Jackson Show from the Washington Post. Judges appeared skeptical about former President Donald Trump's January 6th immunity claims. The former president argues that he cannot be tried for attempting to overturn the 2020 election results. He warned of bedlam, as he put it. After a court hearing yesterday, the appeals court could issue a ruling at any time, possibly delaying the March trial. That Trump wants to postpone until after the November 2024 elections. We will see what's going to happen. Deadly tornadoes devastated parts of the Gulf Coast yesterday. At least 15 tornadoes were reported along the Gulf Coast. Tornado watches from Florida to Virginia. Armed hooded men stormed an Ecuador TV station yesterday. The attacks may have been intended as a message to the government, which has been planning to transfer top gang leaders, and that's who these people were, to maximum security prison rules. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin did not disclose that he is battling cancer. He was hospitalized January 1st, but kept it a secret from the White House for days, causing a political firestorm. Austin had surgery last month after a prostate cancer diagnosis. He was hospitalized by complications, including a urinary tract infection. He didn't tell President Biden about his cancer diagnosis for weeks, raising more questions about his transparency. More and more American homes are flooding over and over again. At least 44,000 structures have had damage covered by federal flood insurance multiple times, according to data. One Virginia Beach property gets this flooded 52 times. They're saying climate change is driving flooding all along the coast and wherever there is water. Uh, the historic lunar mission won't reach the moon's surface. The uncrewed spacecraft launched Monday is leaking fuel and, quote, has no chance of a soft landing, according to the company, whose quote, that designed it. Uh, it's a setback for NASA's effort to send commercial spacecraft to the moon. NASA also delayed plans to land humans on the moon over safety concerns. In Chicago, we are looking at, well, it's going to be snowy, everybody. It's going to be snowy. 31 degrees, cloudy. We're preparing for a storm on Friday. Minneapolis-St. Paul, 26 degrees, cloudy. The NFL wild card season begins this weekend. The Timberwolves, 113, the Magic 92 in the NBA. In the NHL, the Oilers 2, Chicago 1. And those are some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show on WCPK 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Uh, let's talk today about whether President Trump will be disqualified. Should he be disqualified? It's not just um, a matter of the courts, although ultimately now the Supreme Court is going to make that decision. This is political. It is cultural. What do you think is going to happen here? Call us at 773-763-9278. What should happen here? 773-763-9278. How will the Supreme Court uh, rescue Trump? Can they rescue Trump? Will a conservative Supreme Court rule against President Trump? And there's an opinion piece in the New York Times that says only Congress can exempt Trump from disqualification. What do you think is going to happen, everybody? Will politics be an overriding decision here? Should it be? Call us at 773-763-9278. The question is simple this morning. Should President Trump be disqualified? 
from running for president? And what will be the fallout? You have to figure all of those things in. Keith Zelensky from, if not now, Chicago. Uh, Dwight McKean, dean of the Maafa Redemption Project. Reverend Dr. Todd Geary, uh, National Rainbow Push Leadership Team, senior pastor. Douglas Memorial Community Church. Cannot wait to hear what you have to say about all of this. And, of course, Attorney Mark Fancher, uh, brilliant civil libertarian. And um, I want to know what your thoughts are. Call me at 773-763-9278. What do you think is going to happen? Will it be Bedlam if, if he is blocked from the ticket? Attorney Daryl Jones, what say you? You know, Santita, good morning. Now, I don't see Bedlam if he's blocked from the ticket. You know, one of the things that the Supreme Court right now, our U.S. Supreme Court, is suffering from uh, is certainly, you know, uh, a perception of, of not being upfront, of not being honest, and, and certainly a credibility issue. And when we look at Section, uh, when we look at the, the 14th Amendment in Section 3, where it just clearly lays out that if you're an officer uh, of the United States, you've sworn an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States, and you then engage in an insurrection activity, that you are disqualified from running for the office. You can't do it. It's the same as if uh, Congressman Maxwell Frost right now wanted to run for president. He's 26 years old, and our, our Constitution clearly states got to be 35. So, it, you know, it can't be done. So right now, the Supreme Court is, is really being given an opportunity, I believe, to uh, to be able to buttress some uh, of its respect back uh, from the uh, from the American people with regards to holding up what the Constitution simply says, uh, and and that's what I think they should do. Now, will they do it? Uh, that that's a whole different uh, ball game because then we get into the question of the politics of the court, and but but this is the opportunity to allow these justices to really be justices that uphold the oath that they swore to uphold the oath of the Constitution of the United States and follow the law. And I think the law leads to the conclusion of what Colorado did, right? Because in the state of Colorado, they had a full evidentiary hearing as to whether or not there was an insurrection that was committed by the former president. They came to the conclusion that there was one. Everybody could see that they were trying to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power of our government through the people's election. So once that determination was made that he was heading, encouraging, conspiring to have this occur, then the next step is that Section 3 from the 14th Amendment applies and that he should not be permitted to be on the ballot. But now, you know, it's really uh, murky waters that we are in. Uh, because, you know, I think it's very accurate that, you know, there's a very solid uh, base of Trump supporters that are going to be very active, depending upon what this court decides. And so this is the point where, <laughs> Sandy, and I'll close on this. This is the point where we say the reason we give Supreme Court justices life appointments is so that they can be above the politics of worrying about what people think and they can follow the law. So that's the question is, will they have the integrity to do that at this point in time, Santina? Mm-hmm. Sancho, what say you? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, the court can take this in a number of different directions. And if, if we even just put aside their particular uh, ideological uh, tendencies uh, and whatever political commitments they may have, I think one of the challenges that they face is uh, what any court faces in a situation like this where you have a term 
that's used in a legal document, uh, in this case the Constitution, uh, which is not necessarily defined with any degree of precision. Uh, so the question becomes, uh, what is an insurrection? And that's, that's the first question. It, you know, if there, it, just because there is a shared understanding among people in the general public about what they think an insurrection is, uh, there's always, it's always important for a court to determine, is there a legal definition for it? And if they determine that there is a legal definition, and I'm not sure that they will here, uh, then they're faced with the question of whether uh, Donald Trump was accorded due process. Uh, if, if, in fact, there, there is a definition, uh, was he given an adequate opportunity to demonstrate that whatever it is that he did uh, did not meet the, ter- the elements of whatever that definition is? Uh, and if they determine that there's some question about that, then that leaves the Supreme Court in a real quandary, uh, because unlike a trial-level court where they can do what they did in Colorado, have an evidentiary hearing where people are allowed to come in and to offer testimony, uh, documentary evidence is allowed in, and they're able to make findings of fact, uh, appeal courts uh, and you know, courts that review what happens in, at the trial level, they never do that. Uh, they're limited uh, to what is on the record or what has been established at evidentiary hearings uh, at the trial level. And they just review that to see if there are any legal deficiencies or legal insufficiencies. So if, if the Supreme Court uh, determines that there are facts that have not been established, if the record is not clear about whether, in fact, uh, Donald Trump it was, it was given the necessary due process was given an opportunity to fully come in and to explain why he did not uh, satisfy the requirements for what is regarded under the law as an insurrection, uh, then the most that they would be able to do is to remand the case. Uh, they, they, would, they would send it back uh, to the trial-level court for further findings of fact, for further hearings on that question. And I don't know if they're inclined to do that or what they would do. Um, it could be that they just reach a conclusion that this is not a question uh, that uh, was appropriate for uh, a court to, uh, to weigh in on, that it's a political question. Uh, when a court decides that there is a political question, they, really, they rarely get involved in trying to resolve it. So there are a lot of different directions that they can go. But having said all of that, uh, I continue to have the personal opinion that Trump should be allowed on the ballot uh, because I think that people should get what they bargained for. Uh, if all of these people really want to vote this man in, knowing all that they know about him, uh, he is not an unknown quantity. Uh, he's, he's served a full term. Uh, he's continued to make ridiculous, absurd, and dangerous comments. Uh, he has threatened, basically, to become a, a dictator. Uh, he has threatened to destabilize the world. And if this country, if this country wants that man, I say this country should have him and deal with the consequences of it. Hmm. Dwight McKee, your thoughts? Well, I co-sign everything that Mark said. Uh, I think that the dilemma for the court is that he has not been found guilty by a court of law of insurrection, nor has he been impeached by Congress. Uh, and so whether or not he's guilty uh, is up for discussion of insurrection. He's guilty of, of, of 
maybe leading a riot or maybe inciting, you know, some uh, hostility or some violence. But if that rises to the level of one insurrection, secondly, what, how much of a role did he play in that? Again, has not been proven by law. The problem you have with it, the dilemma in Trump, I agree with him on this, is that you open the door for anybody to challenge anybody uh, based on their definition of that they bring to the table or what makes somebody inadequate or inappropriate to run for public office. So if you have an enemy and you can conjure up enough um, accusations, even unproven, then you can, if you have enough relationships and enough money and enough influence, you can instigate them off of the ballot in, you know, enough states to mean something and control elections from now on, even if it's three states or four states, given the electoral process. And so I think it's a very dangerous precedent. I would rather, and, it, and it, again, it gives him momentum. Again, uh, uh, my premise is always, why would you turn a monster into a, uh, a, a martyr? It gives the impression that you are afraid, that you can't beat him at the polls. When you look at the numbers, when you look at his numbers going up and your numbers going down, when you look at uh, who has the momentum, it creates the real illusion of that you actually have weaponized the Department of, uh, of Justice and you're afraid to meet him at the ballot box. And so you're doing everything you can do to keep from having to face the guy in the, in the marketplace. And there's going to be a lot of resentment, a lot of backlash, and a lot of violence that's going to come out of that if they are effectively able to keep him up for the ballot. Who'd you say, Sam Peter? I'm, I'm saying Dwight McKee, you see social upheaval. Absolutely. I, I see social upheaval. I see a uh, a lack of respect for the, the political process. I see a contempt growing out of those people who are Trump, uh, the Trump crowd, the mega crowd, who feels that their constitutional rights have been taken away. And they're the kind of crowd that, you know, they're gun-carrying card members of the NRA, and they don't take being, they take lightly them being denied their choices for a president. Hmm. Todd Yeary, your thoughts? Reverend Dr. Yeary? Well, the I, I think there's a there's another caveat to this whole issue of Trump. I don't I don't think it is it is the issue that we think. I think the bigger issue is the court protecting its self interest in deciding the question. I think Mark Panch is right. Uh, in in determining, is this a political question? If it's a political question, they will probably be hands-off. If there is really a substantive issue that they need to opine 
uh, on. They will. But I think the real issue is, is they're going to avoid any. The court will do, avoid any decision that undermines its authority to conduct judicial review. It's kind of the classic law student con law question around Marbury, Marbury versus Madison, where the court says the Supreme Court decides what the law is. They're not going to make a decision that uh, undermines its own legitimacy in their eyes to be able to to make decisions. And so this question of constitutional relevance, whether or not the 14th Amendment applies at all, let's not forget that the Section 3 that's in, in question is in one of the uh, Civil War amendments which has always been an Achilles heel since the Civil War. 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments have been on the radar of those who would try to really kind of limit the broad scope. And so is this going to be scapegoated as the issue to begin to dismantle the reach of the 14th Amendment, which is actually the federal uh, uh, constitutional clause that imposes certain rights for us, the civil rights movement, on the states. And so I think when we get to it, I think there's a, there's a lot of, of noise because it's about Trump uh, and whether or not he's going to be on the ballot. I think the deeper issues are because it applies to the 14th Amendment and the Supreme Court's own legitimacy, which is being questioned right now, that there is something else going on as an undercurrent that we should keep an eye on, not just whether or not they will, will say, well, uh, it's up to the states to decide since uh, there is no quote-unquote federal election. There are state elections that lead to a federal outcome, and the federal government has an interest in it. But do the states really have autonomy over their own elections and therefore determining who does and does not qualify as a candidate for that state's administration of the election? That's a question. Or is there really a federal election where the federal government has a bit more control than the courts have really kind of indicated? And does that reopen the whole other can about uh, federal election process, the right to vote, those other questions that we often raise over and over and over again? I think the Roberts court is going to be very, very careful about making any kind of decision that could be interpreted as they are conceding or ceding some of their own authority as the final arbiter of what is and what is not lawful in the United States. That's going to be the real question, and I think that conservative court is going to be, be more protective of its own self-interest than maybe even wrestling with the question itself. How does this differ from what happened with with with? I'm sorry, go on because I, because I keep going back to 2000 where the court essentially decided the election. Yeah, well, you know, prior to going back to 2000, if I may, uh, Santita, you know, when when uh, when Tadieri was speaking, one of the, there's another alternative that does exist for this Supreme Court. One that I believe uh, that they will probably pounce upon uh, as a way out and try to preserve some of their integrity, and that is they could simply slow walk this case. Uh, they, they could slow this down, and they've already done it to a degree, right, because they're not hearing this until February the 8th, and Iowa's uh, caucuses are, are happening now. So the more they slow walk this case, the slower it walks, what happens 
is that uh, states are beginning to print ballots and people are making decisions about, you know, uh, whether or not they're going to support a candidate based on what's happening nationally. Am I wasting my vote if it's somebody who's going to be disqualified? And so there's a case uh, that came out uh, years ago. It's called the Purcell Rule. And what the Purcell rule simply says is that the Supreme Court won't make a decision that interferes in the middle of an election. If they slow walk this, they could say, we don't want to interfere in this election. And that would be a violation of our case that we decided in Purcell. That's also an option that's out there for this court. And they preserve their integrity in trying to do it. Well, you know, how does this differ very quickly, 30 seconds, from uh, Gore v. Uh, the Gore decision in in 2000, 2001, actually. I don't think there is any difference. They're throwing their stuff right in the middle of it. Okay. And, and uh, if they kick Trump off, they're making a selection. And, you know, the same thing they did in 2000. Let's call. Let's talk, everybody. 773-763-9278. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Talk about 2024. We're about a week away from Iowa. But now we're looking at really the real dilemma that this facing more and more states. Will President Trump be allowed on the ballot? You tell me, what do you think? Should he be allowed on the ballot? Yes or no? Has it been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt what his role in January 6th was? Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Mark, what do you think is the right question to be asking at this time? Well, you know, I think that um, we can we can spend a lot of time on this, but I think for reasons that uh, have been expressed before, there's a there's a bigger uh, perspective that I think that we should have, and and that's what what would be the impact of it if we think through it. Let's say that the Supreme Court, which I don't think they're going to do, but let's let's say that they do decide that they're going to take him off the ballot. What are the practical consequences of that? Uh, they the people went crazy on January 6th uh, simply because uh, an election wasn't validated by Congress. If the Supreme Court deprives them of the opportunity uh, to to uh, place to vote for their cult leader, uh, then I think that uh, it, it will be uh, a complete and total. Uh, chaotic sort of a situation that we'll see in the country on a number of different levels. And I think that this country, which in my view is already disintegrating, uh, will pro- the, the, the disintegration will accelerate uh, because people will retreat into their various uh, neutral corners, uh, be they actual or, or be they philosophical or whatever they may be, and there, there will be no semblance of order with respect to what happens in this election. That could be the consequence of leaving Trump on the ballot. 
because if he's on the ballot and he wins the election, then we're in store for lots of chaos. Uh, so I'm a prophet of doom <laughs> in, on this question. My I don't word. see. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't I think I think we're in a a no win sort of a situation here Uh, and uh, intelligent people uh, who really can see the writing on the wall uh, will begin to make some alternative plans about what they're going to do with their lives and with their futures. Uh, You know, this is an empire. Uh, It's built on a lie. It's built built on some fundamental, basic, historical crimes against humanity. Uh, and its time has come. Uh, it, 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 we, are, we are nearing a point when uh, there, there really is no realistic way out, I think, uh, unless people wake up very quickly and, and begin to uh, put, put this house in order. Mm-hmm. Dwight, your thoughts? Well, again, I agree with both Yuri and, and Mark, with the whole panel, as a matter of fact. And I think that what Trump is going to argue is the violation of civil rights. He's going to take that same 14th Amendment and use it against the government and say, this is a violation of my civil rights. I have the right as a U.S. citizen to run for any office of my choice. And until I've been proven in a court of law or until I've been proven by the the justice system uh, that I um, am guilty, then they have no right to, to violate my constitutional right. His, all, his other argument is that as the president, he could not he could not commit a, uh, a felony. He could not commit a crime because he is enforcement law of the the government. And at that level, that he represents the law. And so, as the president, as the chief executive officer. Suppose there had been a real insurrection, and he had to call the troops to quell that insurrection as a sitting president. Uh, Could they then blame him for saving the country because he put down a real insurrection? I would use the same logic that Biden is using uh, to prosecute an unjust war. Biden is prosecuting an unjust war that Congress has not uh, declared to be a war by all kinds of illegal means. But him, you know, he's going around the Congress, he's going around his constituency, he's arbitrary, he's capricious in his approach, but his argument is, I'm the president, I'm the chief executive of the country, I'm the head of the Army and the Navy and the Marines, and I, this is my call that I have every right uh, at my discretion to drop these bombs and to kill these children. And I can't be tried for it. I can't be, you know, accused from from my own government for it, even though the rest of the world is accusing me of this. Uh, that's his argument for prosecuting the war. Is he has the arbitrary uh, power as a chief executive to prosecute something that that is not even a declared war? That will also be Trump's argument that as the chief executive, he has every right to prosecute the government as he sees fit. Will this remain a partisan issue, Dwight, or do you see people? Because you know Trump is gathering support. 
from African Americans, Latinos. I mean, he is. He. I mean, the unreported story is just how much, how broad, how his base of support is broadening. I think as people begin to understand the issue, it's going to go beyond partisan politics. I think that as that that is going to be for a lot of people principle, the principle of does he have the right to run and do you have a right to deny me my choice? And so, and that's why I say that you run the risk of turning a, a mosque into a barter is because at that point, he is not Trump the monster. He's a sympathetic figure who's being uh, uh, prosecuted by the government because they are afraid that he's going to go in and quote unquote clean the swamps. And you don't want people buying into that argument because at that point, you know, whether or not you agree agree with Trump as a president. Uh, is different than do you agree with him having the right to run for president? Because at that point, it's just not about him. It's about your choices being taken away. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Daryl Jones, what decision? Well, Keith, I haven't heard from you. What, what do you think is going to happen here? What what yeah, that's do a you great think question. is going to happen here? I mean, just you're an activist, you're organizing, you're talking to people, um, and you're talking to young people, but you're talking to a, broad, a really a broad swath of people. And we're watching, interestingly enough, former President Trump's. He, he's not lost popularity. I mean, he hasn't. He's continued to go from strength to strength. He's going in support of going in the black community and the Latino community. There's something is going on here, Keith Zelensky, and you are on the ground. What do you see? Yeah, I, I see a former president that kind of defies the laws of physics in a lot of ways. No matter how much okay. he is found to be guilty of, um, in terms of his just his extremism when it comes to his actions. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, he continues to garner support. And uh, I think that taking him off the ballot in these states that he's not going to win anyways is going to have a very dangerous impact on how Trump can use that as political leverage to paint himself as the victim, as he always has and garner support from the independents that are very much on the fence between him and Biden. And I think there's still plenty of those out there. And he's going to paint himself as this anti-establishment, you know, fighting against uh, this kangaroo court system uh, if the Supreme Court were to uh, affirm, uh, you know, this case to uh, take him off the ballot. I think it would just be, I think it would feed right into Trump's game plan and his political strategy. I mean, you're talking to people every day. 
What was that, Sincito? Yep. Oh, I'm here. Do you think we would be surprised at the breadth and depth of his support and just who is supporting him? Yeah, I, I think we would be surprised to see who is supporting him. I, I think we've seen that in the past as well. I don't think we should continue to ignore that. There is so many uh, silent, uh, you know, closeted Trump supporters out there that, you know, are your everyday people that don't want to uh, have these political discussions and disagreements for fear of being uh, socially ostracized from their communities and from polite society, so to speak. And uh, these are the people that could end up swaying the election if it ends up being close, which it very obviously, I, I, I think everything is pointing to the fact that it will be a, a close election, uh, just like it was in 2020. Why do you think it's going to be close? I mean, what are the reasons? Is it the economy? Is it January 6th? Is it a whole plethora of issues, Keith? Maybe uh, maybe close isn't the right way to put it. I think it's very unpredictable. There's just so many factors out there between uh, between the Israel-Gaza uh, situation the, and Biden's continued support for Israel, despite uh, Israel committing genocide against the Palestinians and him losing the Arab vote, are Arab Americans, are they not going to vote? And how will that affect states like Michigan? And then you also have the economy and, you know, we're experiencing economic headwinds right now. And we'll start to see what, what that will look like Furthermore, um, in the coming months, uh, and just with Trump's cases, uh, with Trump's legal battles, I think there's a lot to be to be seen in the coming months. And right now, it's just very difficult to like look into a crystal ball and uh, have that, you know, understanding of what things will look like in 2024. Do you see? Uh Todd Huey, do you see Biden gaining any strength? Or do you do you see him on the ticket in twenty twenty four? Well, do I see Biden? Not on the seat? Are you? <laughs> I'm asking. I'm going to. I'm starting with you, but I'm going to ask everybody. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be sent Oh well, you know. Uh, let me uh, start with you, Todd, and then I'll come back to you, Keith. Yeah, I don't. I don't see Biden stepping aside. Um, I don't think anybody's going to prevail on him to uh, to do what they believe is noble and in the best interest of the country. I think you saw that with a bit of what we discussed earlier with uh, his his speech at Mother Emanuel. Uh, I I don't see that being the thing. So whether or not he builds momentum, uh, that's that's uh, that's an on the ground situational thing. Once you get through. Uh, all of the primaries and the conventions and what's really going on in terms of the point that you really made, which I think is a critical one, is uh, whether or not folks, the issue that's controlling the discourse may not be the issue that's driving my vote. And if the thing that's affecting me 
is still affecting me when it's time to vote. That's when I begin to start dealing with my own self-interest. While the, the, the war in Gaza is a very profound uh, issue right now, there's still the real-world day-to-day survival issues that are affecting folks at ground level. Living wages. Can I afford rent? Can I afford food? Can I find a job? Can I take care? Can I find child care? Uh, do I have bodily autonomy to have a conversation with uh, my doctor about my health? Those issues are still just kind of uh, seething under the surface because of so much uh, focus on what's going on with the former president, what's going on in the Middle East. So I think those are really going to be the drivers as to who gets momentum one way or the other. Right now, it's just the election's not today. Folks are trying to figure out how they're going to get through today. And then as we figure that piece out, I think you'll have a better sense of what's going to happen. But I'm pretty confident that he's not stepping aside. So this is an issue that the party's got to figure out. Daryl, what say you? Oh, you, Mark. What do you well, see? You know, no, I, I think I think that he'll he'll remain on the ballot because it's really not about Biden so much as about the Democratic Party. Uh, the Democratic Party is not able to salvage its standing among the the voters by changing uh, a candidate. Uh, as a party, they have not delivered. Uh, in, in terms of their having uh, been in office in recent years uh, for a significant number of years, uh, they still have not addressed some of the most critical issues uh, that affect Trump's unlikely supporters, like people of color. Uh, you know, police violence is still a problem. Voting rights have still not been dealt with satisfactorily. You know, people are still dealing with economic problems. I mean, there's still a lot of things, a lot of promises were made by the party, and they they have not delivered. And they won't deliver because they're a capitalist party, just like the Republican Party. And they will never really address the issues that are most important and most significant uh, to, to people who are struggling and working and poor. And I think that there are a lot of people who are probably more conscious and clear thinking than we give them credit for. Sometimes when oppressed people do something that seems unpredictable or unlikely, like say that they're going to support Trump, it's not because they've been deluded. It's not because they don't see who this man is. It's because they're angry and they want to give the middle finger salute to the people who have made them promises, who have told them that they're going to deliver them and who didn't do it. And so on some level, it's, it's, it's a method of resisting. It's a method of demonstrating anger and dissatisfaction, a method of protesting and, and showing that we're not satisfied with what you're doing. Sometimes these are people who don't know about Cornell West uh, candidacy and know that they could register their dissatisfaction that way. Uh, the only thing that they know is that they uh, w- don't want to vote for a party that has let them down. And so, yes, he is, he's going to remain on the ballot because they've got nowhere else to go. And, and I'll, I'll say this last little thing that I think that we really need to be careful about, and that is that when we continue to talk about trying to accuse uh, Trump of, of engaging in insurrection, we have to remember that many of these angry people that I've been talking about are people who will also 
uh, voice their dissatisfaction by going into the streets. Maybe it's because uh, the police have killed another brother or because something else has happened. And do we want there to be a legal precedent which suggests that these people who express righteous anger, who demonstrate their dissatisfaction with an unjust system, which really needs to be overthrown, do we want them uh, to be regarded at this stage as insurrectionists? Hmm. You know, Santita, sort of adding to what... uh, Yes, yes, go on. Uh, sort of adding to to what uh, Market had said, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When it yes. when it comes to President Biden and whether or not he remains on the on the ballot and he remains the candidate, you know, he is right now the champion, right? And he is the bully on the pulpit. And until someone knocks him off the pulpit, he's going to stay on the pulpit. And I, and I I don't see him, you know, you know, voluntarily giving up. The, pul- the, the pulpit. He's going to stay there. And, you know, because there isn't uh, a process right now of uh, debates and stuff for the Democratic Party that's underway for someone to, to really knock him off, I think he ends up staying there and and and, uh, and running for it. All the issues that, that, uh, that Mark has laid out, all the issues that I know uh, Dwight continues to lay out, and all that that's there involving President Biden will, will remain there. But he is going to stay in the fight unless there is some you know, health reason that he does but other, absent that, I see him staying there. Mm, he, he, invoked, he, invoked, he invoked the pulpit. Let me drop this real quick. He's got to come with a Uh-oh. sermon, though. You just can't hold the pulpit and not preach anything. And that's that's his issue. Is folks aren't folks aren't clear on what text are we taking and what message are we communicating. So just because you got the pulpit does not mean you preaching. It, this, uh, that's a, Problem. I, 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 I don't. I don't think it matters. I think that we're confusing the pulpit with a pit. I don't see the pool. I just see the pit. This brother is sinking more and more in quicksand every day, and I think his popularity rate in the black community is down to forty percent or something. I mean, he, he has no base left, and so I don't think it matters. I think that this is a a uh, referendum on the Democratic Party and what they have not delivered. I think it's a referendum on his position on the war and the hypocrisy therein, and the the, the referendum on people who are tired of hearing the same old, same old, and so they don't see a future because of the promises made and unkept, at least in their minds. And I some probably were kept, but most of the people, that's, many of the people that represent the base are not convinced that it is kept. So when you look at the numbers, the electoral numbers, and what's going to happen in the, the, the border states where they are, the Muslim community has already decided they're not going to support Trump. When you look what? at... Hmm. I'm not going to support Biden. Yeah. When you look at the the uh, black men, who their attitude is, you know, I'm kind of fed up. Same old, same old. Not going there this time. When you look at the independents, many some of 
who am I going to go for the more liberal candidates, the progressives? I'm going to go for the Cornells and some of them for the for Kennedy. I just don't think the numbers are there. So I don't think it's a pulpit. I think it's just a pit. Keith, what do you see with young people? Is there anything yeah, Biden can do to get them back, to get you back? <laughs> Call for a ceasefire now. That's what he can do. And uh, I, I say that, you know, facetiously, but I also am totally dead serious. He needs to put serious conditions on our aid to Israel and not give one more cent until Israel ceases their collective punishment and genocide against the Palestinian people. So... I don't see Biden actually doing that. All signs point to the fact that he's going to continue to give us lip service and reassure us that they're having behind or behind closed doors conversations with the Netanyahu regime to ensure that they don't cross this imaginary red line that doesn't actually exist. And I think people are waking up to that. The more and more uh, that comes out, so I think it's, uh, I really, if you ask me personally, I I think that Biden doesn't have a great chance in 2024 unless he makes some serious changes. I don't think he needs the Muslim American vote to win in 2024, but I think more and more people are not just considering the Israel-Gaza situation but as your other guests have mentioned, there's just so many more recruiting pieces to this political equation. And I think Biden has to get on the debate stage and give Trump a serious run for his money in that setting as well. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, everybody, here we are. Here we are. Hope to see you at the Peace Summit on Friday and Saturday at Rainbow Push. Cornell West will be speaking. We'll have a wonderful interview with him. And Senator Nina Turner, Dwight McKee, everybody here is going to be there. You don't want to miss it. And I'm coming for you, Mark. I'm going to be in Detroit on Thursday and Friday at Wayne State. i got to call you. Oh. I want to see you if I can. Oh. Yes. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, yeah, yeah. i got to see my friend. i got to see my brother, beloved. Everybody, please go to RainbowPush.org or call 773-FREEDOM to get information about the Peace Summit and the MLK Breakfast. We have a few tickets left. Sending thousands of kids. We sent thousands of kids to school, and we're sending hundreds more this year with your support. Back tomorrow with the San Peter Jackson Show. God bless you, everybody.